just joining in with us, we're spending the whole year, we're talking about the gospel, good news in four particular letters, epistles they are called. Uh, and right now we're in the book of Philippians. And the, the thing we keep saying over and over again, and those of you who've been here, you can, you can say this with me, is this. The gospel you believe determines the life that you live and the emotions you feel. Understand, everybody in this room, everyone you know, believes something you believe is good and right and best. And that's what you live for. And whatever it is you believe is good and right and best, that determines the life that you live and the emotions that you feel. Now, the Bible teaches what the one true gospel is. The one true gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God to save us from the punishment and power of sin. And it alone can give us peace with God and peace within and peace with others. And that is something worth celebrating. And so as we're studying the book of Philippians, we're studying it with, with the idea that we have good news that, that is to be celebrated because the gospel is a fact worth celebrating. Because of the victory of Jesus, we can rejoice and we're commanded to rejoice. We need joy. Our world needs to see us rejoice. They need to know that there is such joy. And we're studying Philippians because in this Brief epistle, only 104 verses, it mentions, it mentions joy 16 times and often as an imperative, as a command. And so it's reasonable that we rejoice. And one of the reasons we can rejoice as we're going to focus on today as Christians is because we are, we are found in the Lord. That's actually a, a phrase in our text, to be found in the Lord when I was growing up, particularly in middle school, I, I ran with a pretty rambunctious crowd. And I was pretty rambunctious, as, as, as some of you have heard my testimony uh, before. But one of the things that we like to do that, that wasn't necessarily bad is we love to go fishing and camping. Now, the way we would often do that during the summer is every couple of weeks, we would all tell our parents that we were staying at one particular person's house, and then we would go grab our canoe and all our gear, and we'd go down the Harpeth River for a couple of days uh, without our families knowing. And, and most of the time it turned out okay. I'm, st I'm here. So it, most of the time it turned, out, it turned out okay. But one time it did it. Uh, one time we, we, we came back and we thought we'd gotten away with it again. But we met up with a very angry mom who was there waiting for us. And she was all kind of upset. I looked over at her son who she was chewing out. And he just looked like he just wanted to die. And here's what happened. There'd been, an, there'd been a family emergency. And they went to the house looking for him, couldn't find him. And they began not only to deal with this emergency, but with an all-out search for their son. And, and it was very upsetting. And she was letting him have it. And then she looked over at the other guy and said, your mom's looking for you too. And they all began to wonder, is she going to say that to me also? And so I went to my house. And I don't know what your philosophy was as a child, but my philosophy was that they don't know, don't tell. And my parents didn't seem to know, so I didn't tell. But something interesting happened a couple of weeks after everyone was done being grounded was the change I saw in my two friends. They really had a heartfelt guilt about what they had done. And they never, they never went with us again on one of those trips because it was so upsetting to them to see their family so upset about their lostness, about the fact that they were lost and they needed to be found. You know, once I became a Christian, it was amazing to me, it was overwhelming to me that I had been lost and that God the Father came looking for me, that he had searched me out. And here's what's so interesting. I didn't know I was lost until I was found. 
Anybody else? Is that true for you? Until, until you were found, you didn't even know you were lost. And some of you are sitting here today, and I got news for you. You're lost. And, and you don't even know that you need to be found. And there's, you know, there's nothing more sad in the world than to be lost and not know you're lost. And to, and to not have anyone coming to look for you. The thing I love about our God is that he is a seeking and finding and saving God. If you're ever discouraged about your salvation, if you're ever discouraged and you're wondering if you matter to God, go and read the parables. There's three parables in Luke chapter 15. And each one of these, we see God for who he is. He is a seeking, saving, celebrating God. You, you probably know many of these parables, even if you're, you're not a believer. Maybe you've heard the, the parable of the, of the lost sheep. The culmination of the story is in verse 6. It says, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And, and then there's the parable of the lost coin, which culminates with rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then who, who can forget the, the parable of the lost child or the prodigal son, as it's known? Culminating with this statement, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. God the Father delights in finding his children. He delights for us to be found in him. And there's no greater joy in us than when we know that we've been found. And maybe that's why we love the, the hymn Amazing Grace so much. We love to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. There's nothing more important in your life than to know that you're found. You know, every week, every single week, I receive a message from, from someone or multiple people, oftentimes, concerned about whether or not they are truly found in Christ. There's so many, and, and many of you here like it today, you, you have a besetting sin, you have a downing sense about you. You, you, you struggle to really hold to the, the, this hope that, that we sang about today. And, and one thing I want to say to you is be encouraged. Be encouraged that you're concerned about your condition. Again, lost people don't typically worry about whether or not they're lost. It's those who are found who want to make sure that they are truly found. And so be encouraged that you care. But, but be encouraged also by what our text tells us today. Because what we see in our text today are, are the hallmarks. These are, these are the, 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 the definite details of what it looks like when joy-filled Christians are found in the Lord. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's probably one in the, the pew there in front of you. Feel free, again, to use that QR code and go to our app where the scripture will be found. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, and Landry is going to come read it. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And Landry, if you wouldn't mind, read for us Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've, I have suffering the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, greet those you've been worshiping with this morning. Let them know you're glad to see them this morning. Thank you, Landry. And now all the introverts can relax. <laughs> so it's only, I know that's important, but that's the hardest part of the day for me. God love you. God love you. You know, one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is, it, is the, the fact that, you know, he really didn't know that, that he was lost until, until he was found. You know, he really thought his life was what it was supposed to be. He really thought he was, he was living uh, the, the very best life possible. I mean, this is a person, when, when you think of the four Ps, I mean, he, he had power and popularity. He was positioned to, to gain possessions and pleasure. And so it's interesting, if you were here last week, you'll remember how Paul described his life before he met Jesus. Go back with me and look in uh, chapter 3. Let's go back to verse 4 and 6, just as a reminder. Says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What Paul was saying there is as what I begot as, as being born of the family that I was born to, and then all that I accomplished because of my intellect and because of my focus and discipline. All this was, was important. It was big deal stuff to me until, until he met Jesus. And, and look, what, look what he said after he met Jesus. Look in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. When he did an accounting of his life, and he saw all that he had been given by birth and all that he had attained by effort, he counted it as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. And that made him a joy-filled Christian. It made him one who knew he was found and now lived a life that rejoiced. And our text today shows us what joy-filled Christians who have been found by the Lord, what it is we're like. So write down and remember these three things. The first is this. Joy-filled Christians know the value of intimacy with Jesus. They know the value of intimacy with Jesus. You've probably heard the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I, I have, in my study, in, 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 in my years as a pastor, I, I found that is particularly true as it pertains to life and, and faith. I'm currently reading The Great Dechurching. It is a book, of, uh, it's a, basically a statistical analysis of the U.S. church. And, and here's how the book begins. I put it on the screen for you. About 40 million adult, uh, adults in America today used to go to church, but no longer do, which accounts for around 16% of our adult population. For the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has tracked American religious membership, more adults in the United States do not attend church than attend church. And this book tries to explain why. And so many of the findings have, have been surprising to me uh, surprising because of, of where I, I get to serve, because I serve you as your pastor. And, and, and at Living Hope, what I'm hearing that is happening in other places, it surprises me because it's not happening here. As a matter of fact, we are, we are seeing about 500 to 600 more people now than we did pre-COVID. 
And so hearing of the disparity, it, it surprises me. I will tell you, I am concerned. Our elders are concerned. Because here's the thing. Even though we're seeing more people, we're, we're seeing people less often. You know, there was a day when, when church attendance was assumed to be at least once a week. Unfortunately, for some, it's become once a month or less. And why? Why is it? Why, why is it that Christ doesn't have a, a, a greater priority in the lives of, of so-called Bible-believing Christians? And I think my hunch is that, that we do not value intimacy with Jesus. You know, when you, when you think about what it is the Apostle Paul said, go back to verse 8. Look at, read that with me. Look at, look at what he said. He said, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I'm not sure that that's actually what many so-called Christians, Bible-believing Christians can say. I, I am, again, my hunch tells me that this is what they would have to say. And it's a, it's a reverse of verse eight. I, I put it on the screen for you. I, I think many might, if they're honest, have to say, indeed, I count the biblical Christian experience as lost because of the surpassing worth of having the things and experiences of this world. For the sake of gaining worldly things and experiences, I have suffered the loss of Christian community and Christian commitments and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain the things and experiences of this world. Now, I doubt very many would say that out loud, but I think a simple study or analysis of their behaviors, which show that that is exactly the sentiment. I think we would do well to remember the words of Jim Elliot and act accordingly. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Every created thing will be lost. Everything you think you own, everything that can burn, Everything that you cannot take with you beyond the grave will be lost. Here's what I can, I can assure you of this. If Jesus does not come back, every one of us is going to die a physical death. And at that physical death, what really matters will be revealed. What really matters will be revealed. And my hope and prayer for my own life is that what really matters then will be what has really mattered now. My hope and prayer, my great concern for our congregation and for, for my family and for, for my own life, again, is that, is that we would value those things that matter most. The things we value will be revealed. You know, it's a, it's a sad day for me um, when, when a person dies and their family and friends have to try to justify their faith that was not visible. I cannot tell you how many times I've done funerals where they want to talk about, well, you know, when they were a child, you know, it's like they're just holding on to this string of hope. You know, when they were a child, they made a decision. You know, they, they used to go to church every now and then, you know, there was this time, there was once this time. And, and, and they, they struggle. Because the lifestyle of the individual never communicated an intimacy with Jesus. 
The lifestyle communicated an intimacy with created things, an intimacy and a desire for the things of this world, the experiences and the possessions and the power and the pleasure and the popularity of this world, and they struggle. Friends, have such an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that on the day you die, that the people can tell the stories of your passion for Jesus, how it was lived out, how, you, how, you, how your faith was, was shown because you had this, this personal, intimate, valued relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you, do you? Do you have an intimate, valuable relationship with Jesus Christ personally? And, and are you cultivating it? Is it something that your spouse would see, that your children would see, that your parents would see, that your friends would comment on? If not, why not? What is it that you need to change? Joy-filled Christians know the value of intimacy with Jesus. They, they pursue it. And, and understand, our relationship with Jesus is like all our other relationships. What makes them richer? Time and energy. You want a healthy marriage? Time and energy. You want a great relationship with your kids? Time and energy. Enough of this, well, we have quality time. Forget that. Quality time happens in quality time. It's amazing how more time you have, the more these things show up. I will tell you, I will tell you from experience, your children catch more. You know that old saying, more is caught than taught. They're learning. They're evaluating. They know what's true. Friends, decide what is true and then live it. See, what makes our relationship with Jesus valuable to us is I believe understanding what makes it possible. And that's the second thing that you see about joy-filled Christians. Joy-filled Christians find their righteousness by faith in Jesus. You know, one of the great concerns of wealthy parents is their children will grow up and not, and not appreciate the things that they've provided because they will assume that they deserve these things. You know, that is often the case of many in the West who have been exposed to Christianity they don't value Christ because they assume that they are, they are owed, that they deserve Jesus because they don't understand him and they don't understand themselves. They, they don't understand Jesus. They, they, they believe this half truth. And here's what most people will say about Jesus. He is loving and forgiving. And that is true, but that's not all. Don't skip the ampersand here. I'm gonna put it on the screen for you. Jesus is holy and loving and just and forgiving. And, and notice how I paired those. He, he's, he is holy and loving. He's holy and loving. He's just and forgiving because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Can, can I tell you that most people, their view of what they want Jesus to be really doesn't demand a cross I mean, if Jesus is just loving and forgiving, then why did he die on the cross? Can I tell you why? Jesus died on the cross because he is holy and just. He died on the cross because he is loving and forgiving and he was willing to do what was necessary to meet the holy and just demands of the righteous God of heaven. And he stepped in. And he did what was necessary to free us from the consequences and the punishment of sin so that we would be free to have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. He did this 
He, he died on that cross. He lived that holy life. He came to rescue us. He's been raised in power because Jesus, he truly is holy and loving and just and for forgiving. But a lot of people don't know that. They don't know that about Jesus. And they don't know something very important about themselves. See, here's what most people think. I'm a good person and I should not have to have any suffering or pain. The, the, the great enemy of the Western culture, of the Western individual, is pain. The one thing that will not be tolerated is pain because we think we don't deserve pain. Why? Because we think we're good. We, we think that we've, we've got it, that we, we deserve something just by, by, by nature of, of, of who we are, but we forget. Or maybe we don't know. We don't know what we really are by nature. And that is sinners. This is 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Friends, don't deceive yourselves any longer. Be honest enough to be honest. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, look at this, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We say that his cross doesn't matter. It's a lie. It does matter. We say we don't need him. That's a lie. We do. Each of us is a sinner. We've all sinned. And if we say we haven't, we're liars. Never forget this. I put it on the screen for you. A single sin demands an eternal payment of suffering. A single sin. Why? Because our God is eternal and holy and just. And he demands justice. And that justice was satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. So that when he died, he took the full penalty for, for our actions. Not only that, he gives us the complete value of his actions. It's a great reversal. What we did got put on him and he paid for it. And all that he did in terms of righteousness and miracles and all the good is given to us. So that when God sees us, he sees righteousness. He sees a pure person who's been made right with God Friends, that's what it means to be found in God. That's what our text says. Not have, look at verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Friends, are we found in Christ? The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's what makes us found in God. Are you found in him? Have you asked him to forgive you of all your sin? Is he the desire of your heart? Is he the leader? Is he the one guiding you? Is he your good news that determines how you live and how you feel? That, that happens when you value him. It, that, it happens when you understand how we are made righteous, how we are saved. And then it changes our aim. And that's the third thing to write down and remember. Joy-filled Christians make their aim to be with Jesus in life and in death. So many speak of their faith as though it's fire insurance. I know I'm not going to hell. Well, good. Are you living like heaven? Are you living the answer to the prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look what the apostle said. He said in life we get to, verse 10, know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
to, to know him. This is the Greek word gnosko. It is an experiential knowledge. It's, 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 it's different than oida, which is a, it is a, that's a mental knowledge. This word speaks of an experiential knowledge. Let me illustrate it for you and apologize on the front end that I did not prepare as I should have. Here's the deal. I could read for you the ingredients of M&Ms. And you may understand it here. But if I would have thought ahead, and, and I'm so sorry, and provided a packet of M&Ms for everybody here today, and I promise there really isn't any in the, I'm sorry. It would be a different experience, wouldn't it? There's one thing to read instructions. There's another thing to experience the taste. What does the Bible say? This is Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We get to have this love. We get to have this life. And in death, we, verse 11, attain the resurrection from the dead. I love John 14. I put it on the screen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So it, our aim in life is to have a living hope. Our aim in death is to have an eternal hope. But that only happens when you give your life to Jesus and are found in him. That, that happens when, when, when you don't give up Jesus for what you cannot keep. Friends, gain what you cannot lose by giving up what you cannot keep. Die. Die to the things that you cannot keep and live to the one you can never lose. And rejoice. Rejoice always. You know, those two um, guys that got caught, our friends, you know, they never, they never went with us again. But it was interesting to hear the rationale. They said, you know what? We talked and we, we've come to the conclusion that our parents are not the problem. They are not our enemies. Our parents actually want what is the best for us. And it makes no sense for us to hide from our parents and to keep from our parents. What is best for us is to be in concert under the authority of our parents and walk a path that they know more about and want more for us on. Friends, don't you know that that's how God the Father feels about you? He wants what is best for you. He knows what is best for you. That's why there are certain things in Scripture we are said to say no to. There are other things that we are to say yes to. There are things that he disciplines us for. There are things he blesses us for because he loves us and he knows what is best for us. Oh, friends, I must ask, do you trust him? I mean, do you really trust him? Do you trust him with your life? Do you really believe that? If not, I beg you not to leave until you've talked to someone about this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you truly living as one who is found in Christ? Or might it be a surprise to the people you work with that you claim to be a Christian? Oh, friends, stop living a lie and start living under the author of truth. Live for what you cannot lose, which is the love of Christ. 
and enjoy the blessing and benefit of what he brings by his power, by his resurrection power. Amen. I want to pray and I want to bless you. If you would, let's stand together. Oh, Father, we thank you that you want so much good for us. We thank you that you have provided all that is needed for us to be made righteous, to have a right relationship with you. Peace with God, peace within, peace with others, all by the cross of Christ. And Lord, I pray for some who are here that don't understand all that. I pray for some who are here today who walked in lost and they didn't know they were lost. And I pray that right now they're recognizing that they are lost, but they can be found in Christ and that they will not leave this place until they are sure that they're sure that they are in you and they are safe and saved. God, I pray for those of us who do believe. I pray that we would live lives that give testimony to the goodness of your grace and that others would know by by the way we live and the way we speak and and that which we value and, and give our time and money and attention to, that it shows our faith and that it would be a great blessing to our souls and to those who are near us. Lord, we ask this for your glory and our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you again with Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you, fill you with all joy and, and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I love that blessing. Go in the hope of Christ. You are dismissed.